Hello and welcome to Carmelite Conversations. This is Frances Carey. Today we're going to have a Carmelite conversation on vows in the secular order of discalced Carmelites. And I'm fortunate and blessed to have with me a guest to help in this conversation. I have with me Colleen Solinger, who is a member of the secular order of discalced Carmelites. She's fully professed and she is also the current director of formation for our Mother of Good Counsel Secular Order of Discalced Carmelites in Dayton, Ohio. She has previously done several podcasts with me for Carmelite Conversations, the most recent being our series on courage in the face of opposition. So it is with uh, great joy that I welcome you back, Colleen. Thank you for Thank coming. you so much. Thank you for having me. All right, so um, I just know that we're going to have this conversation about vows, but um, and I know we're going to talk about what it is, so people know. Um, but you know, just what made you think about coming up with this topic for um, Carmelite conversations? Right in our community, it's around the fall is when people who are eligible to make vows get their letter from. The formation director and from council inviting them to consider entering the time of discernment for making vows and so we had a presentation about this in our own community and yeah i thought this might be an interesting topic for others out there right and you know i want to let people know that even though we're directing this talk particularly to the secular order discussed carmelite members still the knowledge of what in is involved in making a vow um, would be valuable for anyone um, to help us understand um, other religious who make vows and also to understand about personal or public vows. Um, we know we have the vow of marriage, uh, right. so this may help deepen our appreciation for vows. So before we get into the the details of our discussion, would you mind opening um, us up with a prayer? Yes, we're going to borrow these words from St. Therese in her act of oblation to merciful love. In the name of the Father, and the Son, the Holy Spirit, amen. Oh my God, most blessed Trinity, I desire to love you and make you loved to work for the glory of Holy Church by saving souls on earth and liberating those suffering in purgatory. I desire to accomplish your will perfectly and to reach the degree of glory you have prepared for me in your kingdom. I desire in a word to be a saint, but I feel helpless and I beg you, oh my God, to be yourself my sanctity. In the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you. So, Let's start out with defining what is a vow. Right. I'd say the best place to do that is straight from the catechism of the Catholic Church. Um, a vow, number 2102, a vow is a deliberate and free promise made to God concerning a possible and better good, which must be fulfilled by reason of the virtue of religion. A vow is an act of devotion in which the Christian dedicates himself to God or promises him some good work. By fulfilling his vows, he renders to God what has been promised and consecrated to him. The Acts of the Apostles shows us St. Paul concerned to fulfill the vows he had made. Thank you. 
So now we there also are categories of vows. There's the simple, which is typically just a temporary vow. And then there's the solemn, which is a permanent lifelong. And it could be a public vow or a private vow. Um, and of course, there's many details associated with all that. And then for historical purposes in our order, um, there was a time that was only like a, a year and two months after a person came to this secular order of discast Carmelites that they were permitted to make a vow. But that mm -hmm. was in days long ago. Mm -hmm. And we're going to bring everybody up to date today, thanks to you. Um, now it's going to take about nine years um, minimum before mm -hmm. one is invited to discern making the vows. And it's very important because it kind of shows the gravity of this discernment, how important it is, and that it's not something that should be flippantly taken as you know, like, like, okay, the next item on the checklist, but, but something very um, serious and also very fruitful. So um, how about telling us about what the statutes and the constitutions for the secular order of discalced Carmelites, what they say about this? Right. Quite simply, as stated in our province, the, the statutes for our province, um, vows are for any member who feels called by God to make vows of chastity and obedience for life. Um, so they're a way of making a deeper commitment to God. Um, for Carmelites, when you make your temporary or definitive promises, you are doing those to the community and to the, your community and to the order. But when you make vows, you're making these directly to God. So that's the uh, very serious part that we need to consider. Right. Um, all right. So uh, I think there were some other resources. I know um, Father um, De Bastiani um, mm -hmm. had provided some work. So maybe you should uh, give us some insight into his direction. Yeah. He um, published a book that's really quite helpful because for a long time, I think people were not quite sure what this meant, you know, again, it, it's their listing in the, the catechism promises versus vows, but you know, what does this mean to me as a secular Carmelite? And he published a little book, um, The Promise and Vows in the Secular Order of the Discals Carmelites. I would say the best place to find that is probably going to the Washington province website. And we can put that in the show notes for people who are interested. Um, it gives a history, the book gives a history of the secular vows and promises, um, not just Carmelite, but just, you know, for, for Catholics in general, he shares the ecclesial documents as well that provide the basis for our current OCDS constitutions, descriptions of promises and vows. So it's quite helpful. It's, you know, cause it, it gives you the background too. And, um, I think that's, and that, that's important to know what you're doing when you know what you're getting into to, to look at the whole bigger picture and how it isn't just something that we've made up in the secular order or even in the Carmelites, that it's um, something given to us from Holy Mother Church. Very good point. And I know that Father DiBastiani also said that vows entail a commitment of the whole person, that the vow is made in the quest for a possible and better good. All right. Mm -hmm. So it's a deeper commitment, but for a possible and better good one which is possible to achieve and which the one who promises has the capacity to accomplish in the future. So we don't want to make a promise, a vow to God 
that we can't keep. Exactly. <laughs> so it, it, we have to have the capacity to accomplish it in the future and better than that, which was lived out in the present moment. So um, very serious commitment, right? Right. But, um, yeah, we, I like to harken back to when you're new to Carmel in the first place, when you're in the visitor's class, when you have entered the aspirancy, you discuss how a vocation to Carmel is not the same as other groups you may have been involved in the past. It's not even just like a book group that your parish has. It's, it's more than a Bible study that is put together. Um, it's even different from involvement in some apostolates where you might make some sort of dedication to, yes, I'm going to pray the rosary every day because I'm a part of this group or something like that, um, that it, it's it's a serious commitment to a vocation. And that's what we learn right from the start. And so in a similar way, deciding to make vows in Carmel must be considered carefully. You know, you don't just do it because it's, it's something that's offered. Um, as well, there's no pressure from your friends in the community or from council to, to just do it just because you've been definitively promised for a certain number of years. Um, I, I say this is, you know, now being the formation director, we assume the best of intentions for everyone who's either pursuing vows or for those who don't feel called to it. Um, but having said that, we don't want to scare people off and you know say, oh, this is just such a huge commitment. What, you know, how are you ever going to do this? Um, to keep in mind, and this is something I think that you will find in Father Devastiani's book as well, that where there's a greater moral responsibility that comes with the vows, there's also the greater grace that you're going to get from God. If you are called to a greater level of commitment, if he is calling you to do this, whatever that entails for you, you are going to also be open to a corresponding greater grace. And if we fail, the greater grace will help pick us up. Exactly. Uh, and I remember Therese, you know, all is grace and not to not to depend on ourselves, but to trust in the Lord, surrender to him. And um, he will get us there, provided that we try to respond faithful, faithfully um, to his call. So now I just want to point out in the in the religious orders, they typically make a vow of poverty, chastity, and obedience. Some, um, like Jesuits, I think they, they do another vow to always obey the Pope. And other orders have additional vows that they may take. Um, but in our secular order of discalced Carmelites, what vows do we take? Ours is just for obedience and chastity according to your state in life. We don't have the poverty one just because now, it's a little harder for a person in a secular in the world to define in the same way that a religious would be able to. Right, because the religious, they'd surrender everything and, and you know, they get all the things that they work with in life or their material goods by the permission of somebody else. And that would be rather difficult to do in our secular state. So the, just the vow of chastity and obedience. Yes. But however, because we make a promise to live out the um, evangelical councils, um, you know, we are going to continue to strive to, to live them out as best we can. All right, well, let's talk about what the formation is for making the vows and what the discernment time is. Uh, I have to tell you a story. Now, I've been in, in the secular order for a long time. Mm -hmm. And when I was invited to make the vows, 
I didn't even know that was a possibility. Right. Um, partially of my own ignorance, but um, partially it wasn't really defined at the time. And so I asked him, well, what does that mean? Because I, you know, I thought that was kind of serious. <laughs> it was. Yeah. And I, the formation I got was basically, well, it's just you're, you're promising to God rather than just to the superior of the order in the community. Um, and so I was like, oh, yeah, well, that's pretty serious. <laughs> so I did my own research and um, I learned a lot more. And I'm glad I did my own research. But I tell you, I am so grateful that we are coming up with formation materials to assist those who are discerning making the vow. I'm really glad I made the vows when I did, and it was by the grace of God that pulled me through <laughs> to a greater understanding of what they are and how to live my promise to God out more um, humbly and um, uh, to fulfill that commitment. So, um, Anyway, but I, I'm so grateful. So, so give us some insight now on what we currently have that is helping us. Yes. And when we say current, yeah, they're, they're in the process even of improving this, streamlining it. So it, and it's all very good for the reasons that you just stated. Um, so first of all, eligibility. Um, secular Carmelites are eligible to begin discern making vows no earlier than three years after making definitive promises. So you not only will have gone through all of your formation and major definitive promises, but you are going to be a definitively promised Carmelite for at least three years before you would consider taking this next um, step. So minimum nine years before you even apply That's right. um, to discern making the vow. Now we have a member in our community who was um, in Carmel longer than me, and she was, um, they made vows at the year and two month mark. And so, you know, we have a, the history of that. So that actually did happen. But I, I think this is really wise for us. Um, as with any commitment that is so serious, we, we need some thought in it. So uh, I think this is wonderful. And by waiting those three years after the definitive promise, Oh, I think it helps us to discern, you know, where our weaks and strengths are, weaknesses and strengths are, and um, help us to enter into this promise uh, at a greater depth. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, greater depth is uh, very important in this process. All right. So what's the application process? Okay. Your formal time of discernment is going to begin once you filled out your paperwork found yourself a spiritual director or a spiritual mentor, and then ask permission of your council and the council approving you. Um, I like to throw in though, that there's an informal period of discernment too. And that would be as soon as you find out about these vows, you know, even if you are an aspirant in a community to know that it exists, as you said, you know, I, I know that it came across some of my, um, formation because we studied the legislation of the secular Carmelites, but I, I don't know, it just didn't sink in. Maybe it was just so far off of my frame of reference at that time that I, I was a little surprised too when I found out when I had been three years definitively promised that there was this option. So um, I would say that your informal discernment begins as soon as you know that it exists. 
And then even once you become eligible, if you don't feel called to enter discernment formally, it, it's there. The seed has been planted. You are there in prayer with God every day. And so you never know if, you know, in a few months time, he might put it on your heart to start considering this, this thing. So I, I yeah, I, the informal discernment can be quite a long one, but the formal one is when you um, are eligible and you fill out that paperwork and are approved by counsel to begin that discernment time. What a great grace that we have this opportunity to make this commitment to God, face to face to God, you know, and, you know, not all organizations have that, you know, we have several um, associations to Carmel that do not permit making vows. Mm -hmm. Other orders, maybe their um, lay dimension of their orders may not have that, but we in Carmel, we are one third of the pie. We're right. <laughs> an, equal, an equal third to the friars and the nuns. We're not just, you know, third place. Right. We're, we're an equal third of the pie. And I think that that bodes well for uh, <clears throat> witnessing for the call of the lady to step up in witnessing and evangelizing in the world. So, all right. So what, what kind of readings or formation material um, are going to be used nowadays. <laughs> right, nowadays. I want to first point out that in the statutes, it does say that no formal program is required to go through vows. So, um, you know, if there's some sort of special circumstance, you and your spiritual director, you know, you would discuss this with, with your counsel, with the formation director. But um, the reason they, they, they would say it too, is that there's no, because of the personal nature of your discernment. Um, it's not as communal as the formation that you've gone through in any formation class so far. Um, but again, it's in order to facilitate a more uniform understanding, the province has a list of suggested readings and it's, it's there on their website too. Um, and our community also, we have some additional readings that are based upon what's been meaningful or helpful for those who've already gone through it. So, you know, it, it's it's to supplement the, the very basic things that the province suggests, just again, because you said it's serious, we are going deeper. And so these are things that people have used that have helped them. Um, and so, you know, don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater. So we, we still use those too. And again, these guidelines that are coming, they're not contradicting the statutes idea of no formal program, but um, I just I just want to repeat too that it's to make sure that we're all all the communities are approaching vows in a uniform way. Right. It's um, assisting us. It's an in an, an aid to our discernment. Right. right. And yeah, to making sure that it's, it's that this formation is adequate so that you know you just understand what you're undertaking when you make these vows. So where do the readings come from that they've selected to aid in the discernment? Right. A lot of them, there are more, well, there's um, Father DeBastiani's book. There are also some more recently published writings about vows in the secular order from either OCDs or OCDSs. You'll find that on the website. Um, we've also added in some um, selections from Divine Intimacy, 
writings from the Carmelite saints. It's all things that you've already been exposed to in your years of formation, but just looking at them with fresh eyes or looking at it through the, you know, the focus that this is what I'm discerning to do. So um, yeah, it's, it's nothing really new, but still very enriching and very, um, uh, you know, to help you in your prayer time. I, I know when I was discerning vows and I didn't have the assistance of material to get me started, I had turned to spiritual theologians, mm -hmm. um, Father Garagou Lagrange or Lagrange, however you pronounce it. Um, he had a lot of material that I thought very helpful on what the vows were, the fruitfulness of the vows, how do we apply the, the vows. And uh, that was very helpful. But recently, our community um, had been studying one of the books that um, ICS Publications put out on Edith Stein. I think it was it her hidden life. Yes. She there was some material at the end of the book that where she talked about the three vows. Well, I thought, oh wow, this is really rich, and this would be really good for anybody uh, discerning to making vows. Yeah. So, but anyway, so people can go at their own pace, though. They don't have to, do they have to discern within that year and make a decision right. then? Or can they say, you know, I'm not ready yet? Uh, yes. I would say that it's it's a minimal one year. Okay. Um, definitely self-paced and self-directed. So different from, you know, a, a, you know, you must do this by the end of the month. Um, it, you know, a part of knowing your call to vows is being able to keep faithful to a dedicated discernment. So, um, good point. You know, it, if you are really on fire and you go through all the suggested readings in two months' time, council would still ask you to take the rest of that year to, you know, to, to still discern. That that's that's great if you were enthusiastic, but. You know, it's more than just getting through a checklist of readings. And so, boom, I'm prepared to do vows. Time tested. <laughs> right. Yes. All right. And so as far as the spiritual director or mentor, does that person have to be a Carmelite? No, this is actually one of the newer requirements for those discerning vows is that you choose a spiritual director or a spiritual mentor to assist you. Um it's it, it, uh, compared with previous years, it is a part of the paperwork. You have to have that name in order to be approved by your council to begin your discernment. Um, you can use a spiritual director you've already been using. So, you know, even if it's just a diocesan priest who's been assisting you, it's that's absolutely fine. But you can also have a spiritual mentor. So it can just be somebody perhaps in your own community who's already made vows who can uh, be there to answer your questions or, you know, just let you know what they've gone through or what they know from other people's experiences. Um, and so we discussed in our own community that those who have made vows, perhaps they're being called to guide a community member who's still going through this. So, um, All right. You so know. you don't have to have you know, training as a spiritual director. Right. The mentor can be somebody who's already made the vows, but, and is willing to yes. mentor. So, uh, well, that's a, an important thing because uh, trying to find a spiritual director um, can be challenging um, since there are not um, 
discount Carmelite friars everywhere. <laughs> right, right. And and the priests are overworked, and they, so, they definitely you know, are. And so we can relate to having uh, you know a challenge and trying to find um, help in that. So that makes it a lot more possible. Right, because then even if you there's somebody that you see on a more a priest that is able to meet with you on a less regular basis, you can still have that spiritual mentor even if you have a spiritual director, it's, you know, again, it's, it's, it's how your, it's your time of discernment and what works best for you. But these are all the options open to you. I like this holy flexibility. Sounds like the rule <laughs> of, of St. Albert. Um, all right. So at the end of the discernment time, right. um, what happens and what okay. are the possible outcomes of, of that? I just want to reiterate too, because we both mentioned that it's not just a checklist. It's not just, well, I've done all my readings. And so it's time to do this thing. Um, you're, you, um, just because you've completed the readings doesn't mean that you're going to feel called to have vows. Having struggled to get to the readings does not mean that you're not called to make vows. And I would say there are probably four different ways that you, or four different conclusions you might come to. Um, you can say, yes, this was, you know, doing the readings was absolutely, you know, proof to me that I am dedicated to this and I was able to be faithful. I'm absolutely called. Um, you can say I did all the readings, but I don't know. There's just still something I, I'm just not feeling called to do this right now. Um, you might have struggled getting to the readings. Um, and, you know, still say, but I, I have this inexplicable call. You know, I, 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 you know, it was a hard for me to get through this discernment process, but I'm still feeling called. Or it can be a matter of um, I, I struggled with this and I just am so overwhelmed with whatever I'm doing right now that I am not called to do this at this particular time. Yeah, because sometimes in that year of discernment, um, if it, something might be happening in your life. COVID might have come. <laughs> right. <laughs> and you know, that changes your perspective and it makes you face some things that maybe you haven't thought of before. So, you know, all that, all that material of life uh, comes from, from God to help us to grow. It depends on how we, we use it. So, but, you know, there is another possible outcome and I wanted to bring it up um, because it, it comes from St. Therese of Lisieux um, from the story of a soul. I believe it's chapter eight on her profession. And if you don't mind, I would like to read this. Um, it's kind of a lengthy paragraph, but I think it might give some people some indication of what might happen as they go through this discernment for making the vows. And of course now Therese was in the order with the nuns. Um, and so she's making this as a religious, um, not as a secular discalced Carmelite. She says, the beautiful day of my wedding finally arrived. It was without a single cloud. However, the preceding evening, a storm arose within my soul, the like of which I'd never seen before. So the night before she's to make her vows, a storm in her soul arises. Not a single doubt concerning my vocation had ever entered my mind until then. And it evidently was necessary that I experience this trial. I like how she put that. It was necessary uh -huh. that I experience this trial. <laughs> In the evening while making the way of the cross after matins, my vocation appeared to me as a dream, a shimmera. I found life in Carmel to be very beautiful. 
but the devil inspired me with the insurance that it wasn't for me and that I was misleading my superiors by advancing on this way to which I wasn't called. The darkness was so great that I could see and understand one thing only, I didn't have a vocation. Ah, uh, how can I possibly describe the anguish in my soul? It appeared to me, and this is an absurdity which shows it was a temptation for the devil, that if I were to tell my novice mistress about these fears, she would prevent me from pronouncing my vows. And still, I wanted to do God's will and return to the world rather than remain in Carmel and do my own will. So this is very important how she's pointing this out. So we're discerning God's call. I made the mistress come out of the choir and filled with confusion, I told her the state of my soul. Fortunately, she saw things much clearer than I did and she completely reassured me. The act of humility I had just performed put the devil to flight since he had perhaps thought that I would not dare admit my temptation. Now that's important because she humbled herself, admitted the temptation, the great temptation, the night before, and, and um, she got others' input on her discernment, which is very important. Yeah. My doubts left me completely as soon as I finished speaking. Nevertheless, she wants a double portion here, to make my act of humility even more perfect, I still wish to confide my strange temptation to our mother Prioress, who simply laughed at me <laughs> in the morning of september 8th the day that she made her vows i felt as though i were flooded with a river of peace now i am i think it's important for us to understand this because um having been on the council having uh served our community and entailed that very serious process of discerning people's call to our order and to the secular discounts, Carmelites. I actually saw this kind of thing happen to one of our members. And um, it was very important that they didn't just take their own experience as a yay or a nay, but that they shared it with somebody um, who helped them discern what God's will was rather than falling to this temptation. Um, so, um, I just wanted to put that out there. So the point being always share with somebody else that you trust um, is looking out for your best interest. Um, your spiritual mentor, um, your spiritual director um, are, are wonderful in this capacity. God will give them the grace to, to help you. So, yeah. um, Because I, those who are in Carmel and preparing for vows, may have faced this before them, themselves when they were preparing to make promises that right before, you know, you're warned, pray, but also communicate with counsel because you are going to have all sorts of thoughts about, oh, this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. And um, yeah, just, just, uh, of course, <laughs> Teresa Superior left because she'd seen it all before <laughs> and might've experienced it herself. It's so very common. And you're right. That's why um, communication with your counsel is important, but even those out there listening who are not Carmelites, um, when you're trying to do something big for God, um, absolutely that trusted mentor or director who can help reassure you that, um, you know, 
don't listen to the voices that are trying to discourage you. You are trying to discern God's will for you in all of this. All right, so that kind of leads to the next question. Why would um, a member want to make the vows? Right. Um, why would you not want to go deeper with God? <laughs> <That's the question. laughs> nice way to put that, Colleen. <laughs> um, but, you know, for vows in particular, you're right. You know, anybody can go deeper in the relationship with God without having made vows. You don't need a formal formation. You don't need a formal ceremony. Um, but, um, you know, it's, it's, if it's an invitation that is being extended to you, there must be something behind it. And it's good to at least discern whether uh, you're called to do this. And then by making a vow, then your acts of um, obedience and chastity now are joined to the virtue of religion, right. which puts it on a, a much deeper level before the Lord. So it's a greater, deeper commitment, but there's also greater graces that come from it. And that benefits not just you as a person, but the whole church and the whole world at large. So it's not a onesie thing. Right. Uh, it affects the whole world. <laughs> right. I think one thing that sometimes scares people off is they're just thinking, oh my gosh, it's one more obligation. Um, I was reading a, an article recently at, um, on the website of Church Life Journal, where they were describing the lack of enthusiasm for even the most brilliant parish or diocesan programs, that it boils down to people's weariness of just one more thing to do. Um, and so if that's what you think, I mean, you know, maybe it is, maybe you are overwhelmed with life, but maybe you need to look more deeply at that because, um, you know, sometimes people who are seeking to do things for God are surprised to find that going deeper with God means cutting back on some otherwise very worthwhile things. Maybe you you're too busy, <laughs> but God would 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 ask you to be more fruitful with fewer things than trying to do all of the things. Um, and that could be one of the lessons that you'll learn during discernment. Or it's possible it's just you need greater grace to do the little that you do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That too. That too. All right. Um, do you have some examples uh, that you can provide about Carmelites going deeper with God? With of course vows? they do. Because we have examples of, of a vow situation, but we also have the personal vows. And we also have just, you know, those who throw themselves more deeply into a relationship with God and, you know, who better to look to than the Carmelite saints. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> I agree. <laughs> <laughs> so St. Teresa of Avila actually did make a vow of obedience to um, Father Gracian. I don't know if I'm saying his name right. He was the first provincial of the Discalced Carmelites. Um, the reason you can read about this more in her spiritual testimonies. Um, I have that in volume one of her works that are published by ICS. Um, she felt called to make a vow of obedience to someone who could stand in the place of God. You were just mentioning somebody you would trust. And this priest was who she could trust. 
Um, not only did she come to understand this as an act of surrender to God, but she felt it helped her to avoid scruples. So if Father Gracian told her to, you know, let something go, she held him in the place of God and was obliged to just let it go. <laughs> and it's good to do that. Um, also, she thought it was good to renew her vows on the Feast of the Nativity of Our Lady, as it was a day that had always brought her special joy. This is something else you can read about in her spiritual testimonies. Um, in fact, one year she had a vision that seemed as if the Blessed Mother was standing with her as she renewed her vows. Isn't that beautiful? Oh, it sure is. And I think every Carmelite who's making their being clothed or making a promise, whether it's temporary, definitive, or making the vow, should always be thinking of being clothed by Our Lady and yes. wrapped in her mantle and making that promise or vow before her, with her, in her. Yeah. Indeed. Um, Saint Therese of Lisieux, we opened this conversation with a snippet from her act of oblation to merciful love. And that was, you know, more of a personal than a formal devotion. She did another one where she had an act of consecration to the Holy Face. And this one was composed for uh, herself and two other novices who also had Holy Face as a part of their name and religion. Um, I'll read just a small portion from that. Oh, beloved face of Jesus, as we await the everlasting day when we will contemplate your infinite glory, our one desire is to charm your divine eyes by hiding our faces too, so that here on earth, no one can recognize us. Oh, Jesus, your veiled gaze is our heaven. You know, who, who can deny that that's not going deeper with God, right? <laughs> You know, a lot of people don't realize uh, that Therese's name and religion was St. Therese of the Child Jesus and the Holy Face. I know that there's a prayer card out there that has her showing a, an image on them. On one side is the Child Jesus and on the other side is kind of a shroud um, image. And it's so touching and, and beautiful. So thank you for bringing our attention to that. Yeah. So oh, I know you're going to give us an example from St. John the Cross, because we're hitting the big three, right? <laughs> the yes. of the church of, in Carmel. Exactly. He, um, you know, I have no evidence that he ever did anything formal, but I, and you know what, I, I wish that I could give listeners snippets that would capture it all, but I'm going to have to refer them to look deeper into his writings. Um, I would say that if they go to the spiritual canticle, chapters 28 and 29. Um, I absolutely recommend those for further readings about a soul's complete surrender to God, as well his living flame of love. Uh, it's just, it's the story of what a soul must go through in order to become a perfect soul. If you want to explore and pray about going deeper with God, the living flame of love is one beautiful way to do it. Um, it, it's it's just he describes the purification of the soul and it's just beautiful and i always liken that book uh, of his the living flame of love to the seventh mansion of saint Teresa of avila the yes. spiritual marriage yes. um, so that gives an indication if you don't know john of the cross very well yeah. well you know we're talking today on a very special feast day yes um, it's St. Teresa Benedict of the Cross, also known as Edith Stein. So um, happy feast day to all of you 
um, out there. Um, uh, maybe you can share a little bit um, of what you gleaned from um, her for this special occasion. Yeah, the what um, this is this come. I found something. It was from this morning from the Discalce Carmelite Propers, um, where they quoted something that uh, it was originally published in German, and I did not have time to find the the original source in English, so we're just gonna go with this. It comes from the Discalce Carmelite Propers um, because she mentions vows and it's very much about um, a very intense relationship with God. She wrote this. The world is in flames. Do you wish to put them out? Contemplate the cross. From the open heart, the blood of the redeemer pours, blood which can put out even the flames of hell. Through the faithful observance of the vows, you make your heart free and open, and then the floods of that divine love will be able to flow into it, making it overflow and bear fruit to the furthest reaches of the earth. Through the power of the cross, you can be present wherever there is pain, carried there by your compassionate charity, and by that very charity which you draw from the divine heart. That charity enables you to spread everywhere the most precious blood in order to ease pain, save, and redeem. The eyes of the crucified gaze upon you. They question you and appeal to you. Do you wish seriously to renew your alliance with him? What will your response be? Lord, where shall I go? You alone have the words of life. Oh, that is so beautiful and so appropriate for today and for the situation in the world today it so. is, yes <laughs> excuse me yeah it's it's yeah it's perfect um we know she wrote about this in the the times between world war one and world war two and we know how her life ended but yes yeah, yeah. the world is always in flames it it, it is what it is but really, she really fulfilled her name, St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross. I mean, exactly. she was that uh, Holocaust offered up for her right. people and right. people of the world. So we, we thank St. Teresa Benedicta and we ask her intercession for all of us. Um, so we've covered um, a lot and, you know, making the vows in the secular order of Discalce Carmelites has really gone through some transition. Um, to reflect the importance of each stage of our commitment uh, from being clothed to making a temporary promise to making a definitive promise to making vows, which is an option. You don't have to do it. But hopefully, um, from what you've shared with us, our listeners will come to a deeper appreciation of, of what it, it is, uh, what it entails, um, what is expected. Um, but also just remember how fruitful it is um, because with this greater commitment comes greater graces to do what? To love God and love neighbor. So um, again, I thank you, um, Colleen, for being with us today, uh, for bringing all these points to our attention so that we can have a better understanding. And I look forward to more conversations with you and um, I think it, it's um, about time for our closing prayer then. Would you mind leading us in a closing prayer? I will do it. 
um, these words that we will close with come from the very end part of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity's, oh my God, Trinity, whom I adore. Uh, again, because it just, her surrender to God and the depth with which she felt her love for the the Blessed Trinity, um, the, it, it, just, it just wraps it all up very nicely. <laughs> all right, thank you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. O oh, my three, my all, my beatitude, infinite solitude, immensity in which I lose myself, I surrender myself to you as your prey. Bury yourself in me, that I may bury myself in you, until I depart to contemplate in your light the abyss of your greatness. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. All right. Well, thank you. And thank you for tuning in to Karma Light Conversations. We look forward to having more conversations with you again. Meanwhile, uh, may God bless you and keep you now and forever. Amen. Amen. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.